Well, a, a few weeks ago, I decided to take on the Couch to 5K Challenge. You may be familiar with it. It starts out very gently with about a minute's running, followed by a three-minute walk, and so on. Uh, I'm on week five. I just started week five the other day, so I'm now up to five minutes running with a three-minute walk in between. Now, that may not sound all that taxing to you, but I can tell you that in my current state of fitness, uh, most of the time it feels like I'm dragging a couch behind me while I run. Uh, and it still feels a real effort to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, it is starting to get a wee bit easier, though. Now, there have certainly been times over the past month where I have felt like giving up or not heading out on my run because I know that what awaits is going to be painful. And left to myself, I probably would have given up after the first run. But what motivates me to keep going are two things. One, I know that this is doing some good, or I'm told that this is doing some good for my health. And two, as I run, uh, the app has this really encouraging guy called Reese Parkinson, and he keeps telling me that I'm doing a fantastic job, and I've just got a little bit further to go. I had no idea who he was until I Googled him the other day, and it turns out he's a Radio 1 DJ. Uh, and just in case he listens in to our sermons online, I just want to say to you, Reese, you are doing a great job, and I think we make a great team. Uh, when it comes to the motivation to keep going when we're finding things hard, we have two options. We can look inside ourselves for the strength to endure, or we can look out. We can find the strength to keep going from help that is outside of ourselves. And it's those external factors, really, that have kept me going over the past month. And it's similar when it comes to living the Christian life. Uh, when we are facing tough times, we can either look inside ourselves to find the resources to endure, or we can look out. We can look to God. We can find the strength to keep going in even the toughest situations. And situations don't really get much tougher than the one that Paul finds himself in in the passage that was just read to us today. If you were here last week, then you will know that Paul was a, a key leader in the early church who had been imprisoned in Rome because of his ministry. Not only that, he had been abandoned by some of his closest ministry colleagues. So as he wrote this letter to Timothy, he was in uh, what could be described as a pretty dire situation, chained in the darkness, in isolation, facing torture, and probably an impending execution. Paul had every reason to be discouraged and bitter about his circumstances. And yet, at the beginning of this passage, that's not his state of mind at all. If you look with me at verse 3, he writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Notice, Paul was full of thankfulness to God. The reason that Paul could endure such dire circumstances without becoming consumed with bitterness 
was because his eyes, they weren't on himself. They were fixed on God. And there are a couple of signs that that's the case in this verse. First of all, he was a man with a clear conscience. I wonder, do you have a clear conscience? Times of isolation are often times where our consciences can really trouble us. Sometimes in those kind of situations, people can be plagued by doubts or insecurities or perhaps guilt over past sins that rise in their minds and condemn them. Now, if anyone had a reason to feel guilt over their past, then surely it was Paul. In his first letter to Timothy, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. He was once a feared persecutor of Christians, an enemy of the church. In Acts chapter 7, when one of the early Christians, Stephen, is stoned to death by a baying mob, we're told that Paul, who was then named Saul, he looked on approvingly. A follower of Christ, a, a godly man, was executed, and Paul approved of it. I mean, this guy, when he first encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus' words to him were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Imagine hearing those words from Jesus himself. And yet, here he is, years later, with a clear conscience. How did he get there? Well, because his eyes, they weren't fixed on his past sin. They were fixed on his Savior. Paul could look back and he could know that his past was forgiven, that the very one he had persecuted had borne his sin on the cross. Every hateful moment, every murderous threat, Jesus took it all and clothed Paul with his perfect righteousness. And because of that, Paul knew that whatever had gone before, no matter how bad it was, he was now blameless in God's sight. That there was no more guilt, no more fear about his standing before God. And if you're a Christian here today, then that is true of you as well. At the cross, your sins have been paid for. Your guilt has been dealt with. Paul himself writes in Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. The devil wants to make us ineffective. He wants to hold us back from usefulness in Christ's service. And one of the ways that he does that is by, by reminding us of our past sins, accusing us telling us that we are unworthy, that we cannot possibly serve God. But the wonder of the gospel is that when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free 
For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Because of Jesus, like Paul, we can serve God with a clear conscience, knowing that if we are in Christ, then our past sins don't define us. So Paul's clear conscience is a sign of where he was looking in times of trouble. And so were his constant prayers, confined to his prison cell, unable to travel around preaching and planting churches, the busyness of ministry stripped away, the temptation for Paul to turn in on himself and wallow in his circumstances would have been huge. But instead, he turned to God. He was continually engaged in prayer. No doubt while he was in that cell, he brought all manner of Christians and leaders and churches before God. Not least Timothy, who he lifted up night and day. Paul knew that prayer wasn't some futile exercise. He knew that God chooses to work mightily through the prayers of his people. That, that Paul, even while he was behind bars, chained to a wall, he was still contributing to the growth of God's kingdom in the very act of prayer. But as well as furthering God's kingdom, his prayers also served another purpose. They cultivated that intimacy with God. Paul would have known well the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, that there is nowhere that he could go to flee from God's presence, that even a heavily fortified prison in the center of the most powerful empire on the planet couldn't deny entry to the Spirit of God. Paul knew that he wasn't alone in his cell, that the Spirit of God was right there with him, comforting him, encouraging him, strengthening him to endure in the midst of suffering. If you're anything like me, then, then maybe you find it hard to pray. You know you should do it, but often it feels no more than a, a bit of a box-ticking exercise. But Paul's example here demonstrates that it is so much more than that, that the prayers of someone who physically can't go anywhere or do anything, they are mighty because of the God who answers them. And those same prayers, they cultivate that intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And if we neglect to pray, well, then we shouldn't be surprised if our troubles, our hardships seem overwhelming and God seems far away. There's an old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, that sums it up well. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. 
take it to the Lord in prayer. Christian, whatever you may be going through right now, whatever suffering, whatever isolation, whatever darkness or dread you may be facing, take it to the Lord in prayer. There is nowhere that the Spirit of God can't reach. He hears you, and He is powerful to answer. And you may be wondering why you're having to endure your particular trial, or when it's going to end. Well, sometimes it takes times of adversity for us to get to the place of Paul, to get to the place where we live our lives in complete dependence upon God, to lean not on our own resources, but to trust in Him completely. But what does that actually look like? Well, that's what Paul goes on to explain to Timothy in this passage. As Paul writes this letter, what was Timothy's situation? Well, the clue is in verse 4. As Paul recalls Timothy's tears, he writes, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. What was it that caused Timothy's tears? Well, we looked at this a bit last week. There were multiple stressors on Timothy when he received this letter. Paul's reference seems to be to their last meeting where Timothy may have wept as he considered the fact that he might not see Paul alive again in this life. He knew that Paul was about to, he knew what he was about to suffer in prison, torture and probably death. And he would have known that that was a sign of things to come for the church increasing opposition from the Roman state that, that could lead to his own imprisonment and possibly his own execution. So he had to deal with the opposition from the outside, opposition from the state on the church and all the stress that that brought. But Timothy also had to endure threats from within as he carried the, the heavy weight of responsibility to lead the church, he, he faced the prospect of, of real opposition to his leadership. Uh, the opposition of false teachers had, had returned. It's no wonder that, that Timothy had been moved to tears. He was getting it from all angles. Put yourself in his shoes. You can understand why he was anxious and depleted, why he might think of giving up. In the first instance, this is a letter to a church leader. And the same kind of stresses have been felt by church leaders down the centuries. And I mentioned last week that nearly 40% of church leaders have thought about giving up in the past year. There are many stressors in Christian ministry, and the temptation that Timothy felt to give up it is certainly felt by many in his position today. And that's why it's so important for, for Christians to be aware of the kind of challenges their leaders face, and, and to pray for them, and to encourage them in their tasks. 
But of course, it's not just Christian ministers who sometimes feel like giving up. This stresses that responsibilities may be different, but we can all experience that feeling of wondering if it's all worth it. We can all know that temptation to bow out of the race. So how do we keep going? How do we keep putting one foot in front of the other? Well, look how Paul responds. He begins verse 5 by reminding Timothy of his confidence in him. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Paul reminds Timothy of his sincere faith. As Timothy read those words, he could take heart from the fact that his father in the faith, the one who had nurtured him, who trained and discipled him, he believed in him. What an encouragement that must have been to him at a time when he knew what it was to experience harsh criticism from those he was trying to minister to. He'd been on the receiving end of older people in the faith looking down on him. But here was Paul reminding him of his confidence in Timothy's faith. And then he goes on to remind Timothy of his calling, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy of his calling by God to be a minister of the gospel. That whatever doubts he had, he had been formally set apart by Paul under God for the task that he was now undertaking. A calling to the ministry, it's not something that we decide for ourselves. It's something that needs to be recognized by the church. And that's important because there are times where ministers may doubt their calling, times where they may wonder if they made a mistake. And it's at times like that that they need to remember that they weren't called in isolation, that their calling was recognized and affirmed by others who'd gone before them. And so Paul reminds Timothy of his calling to the ministry, and he urges him to fan into flame the gift of God, to go forward with confidence that he was God's man in God's place at God's time. God didn't make a mistake by calling Timothy to Ephesus to minister at that time. And then Paul urges Timothy not to be afraid, but to remember the Spirit of God, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, we saw last week that that word fear is sometimes translated timid. And it's led to the rise of the infamous title, Timid Timothy. But that word is actually translated cowardice. Timothy, he wasn't some wilting wallflower. He was, by this point, a gifted, seasoned leader who was in danger of acting in a cowardly way, of doing the very opposite of Paul, of looking inwards and seeing that he didn't have the strength in himself to keep going and be tempted to give up. Instead of looking out and fixing his eyes on his Savior, trusting in the empowering presence of his spirit to endure tough times. 
And so Paul, he calls him to remember where true strength for the Christian is to be found. He reminds him that the Spirit is the one who gives him power. Not power to respond harshly to his opponents or to lord it over them or to chase them out of town. No, power to endure what he was facing. Power to just keep putting one foot in front of the other in the face of opposition. When the temptation to stop running was no doubt immense. Paul then highlights that the Spirit is the one who enables him to love. Timothy was facing all sorts of opposition from people within the church. And some of that would have been extremely hateful. The temptation to to react in kind would have been very real. And so he needed to be reminded of where his resources lay, where his resource to love came from. You know, it's easy for a church leader to love people in the church when they're kind, when they are engaged, when they are serving. It's much harder when they're divisive, when they are hateful, when they grumble, when their attitude is anything but loving. How does a church leader, how does any Christian love when they experience painful wounds from a fellow Christian. Well, that's not something that we can manage from within ourselves. It's only by relying on the Spirit of God that we can do that. And then Paul reminds Timothy that it's the Spirit who gives us self-control. In the face of opposition, the temptation for Timothy to abandon his calling was huge. And perhaps he'd already begun to slip up, to to cut corners, to avoid confrontation, to temper his message. The temptation to go for an easy life and tell people what their itching ears want to hear, it's a massive one for a minister and one that Paul will warn against in this letter. And again, that's why Timothy and we need to rely on the Spirit's power to equip us and enable us to remain self-controlled, to not veer off into error, to keep opening our Bibles, to keep studying God's Word, to keep living faithfully in obedience to it, to keep looking out to God and not looking in on our own resources. The opposite, the antidote to fear is to trust. To trust and rely on the Spirit of God to strengthen us in ways that we could never muster up within ourselves. If you want to see a Spirit-filled leader, a Spirit-filled Christian, don't be fooled by the dramatic. It's not the person who's able to prophesy at the drop of a hat or share powerful visions or or preach in incredible ways. No, it's somebody who doesn't look in to try and muster the strength to keep going from their own gifting or strength. 
He's someone who looks to God, who keeps trusting, who keeps relying on God's Spirit to enable them to keep putting one foot in front of the other when they feel like giving up. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you that you are the one who empowers your people by your Spirit to live for you. Lord, in times where we rely on our own resources, would you lift our eyes to you? Would you encourage us and empower us by your Spirit to, to keep going, to remain faithful, to keep serving you. And we pray that as a church, we would encourage one another as we do that, that we would build one another up and, and keep encouraging one another to, to, to be faithful in these days. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, who was willing to go before us, who, uh, who was willing to go to the cross and suffer and die, that we might know what it is to be forgiven, that we might know the gift of your Spirit, and we pray, Lord God, that you would keep us looking to our Savior in all things. We pray that as we come to this table to take bread and wine now, you would remind us again of your faithfulness, of your empowering presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.